You're listening to the Ministry 127 Podcast, a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel and the Lancaster Baptist Church. Today's lesson is on developing leaders in the local church with Dr. Robert Bax. Dr. Bax has served as the pastor of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Rockhampton, Australia since 1997. But I want you to go to the Gospel of Luke with me, Luke chapter 22. I want to give you a very practical lesson uh, here this afternoon, Luke chapter 22. It's been said uh, that when we think of leadership, that leadership is influence, and I understand that concept, uh, and it's true to a point because you are influencing people, therefore you are giving them some direction, good or bad. But I think when we consider biblical leadership, we are talking about it's all about developing leaders who then have a capacity to develop more leaders. There is a perpetuation, sort of like what Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, reminded us in 2 Timothy 2.2, that all things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit to who? Faithful men. Faithful men who shall be able, so they now have an ability, you've taught them some ability and equipped them to be able to teach others also. And you would, by implication, they're looking to teach faithful men as well. As we think through that, and we understand the Apostle Paul as he uh, went through his life in equipping and training people, was always looking for followers. In fact, he would say, you know, be followers of me as I also am of Christ. And he would look for following men. And out of those following men, he would be impacting faithful men who would then in turn become fruitful men and reproduce themselves. And our quest in developing leaders in the local church is that very quest to discover faithful men, to find those men whom we can impart the truths to, that they can then go on and teach others and have the ability to teach others also and to work through in that leadership capacity. And I think when we think about following people, uh, nobody... Nobody follows uh, just the average Joe Blow or the average bloke. They're going to follow someone who's a little bit above, a bit different than them, has something that they don't have or they want or they see or they need, and hence you follow that. You don't follow ordinary things. You follow something that's got a little bit more desire and a quest for those things. And God is saying we need to be a little bit different than the average person if we're going to have an impact and influence into someone's life. We're to be salt in the earth, amen? And uh, if, you, if I sprinkled you on someone and you had no effect upon that person, then you're a salt, we're salt that's lost its savour. And we are to have impact and we are to make a difference in people's lives and especially as we consider the concept of leadership. And I think nobody made impact on anyone's life more than the Lord Jesus himself. And as a, a master teacher, you will not find anyone greater than Jesus. And I think if we want to learn about the concepts of leadership, we can glean much from uh, developing leaders in, uh, from our own human peers and others whom we can look to. But I think the master that we need to follow is the Lord Jesus and look at some concepts. And I want to draw from, from his life some principles on how he developed leaders and then there's some principles that I've adopted and said I need to I need to practice these principles in developing leaders where we are in Australia and God has blessed us when we went there uh, in that church we were a small little church about 23 people and uh, God enabled us to stay on and called me into the full-time ministry there as a senior pastor and God's blessed it and it's multiplied 
several fold now. We have four or five hundred people now. It's just been a blessing. We've seen people go out in the ministry, trained up leaders from ground up. And I'm simply going to give you some practical things that might be helpful that I've gleaned from the life of Jesus and how he trained his leaders and what I've tried to put into what we did to train the leaders back there in Australia. And maybe you can transfer it any way you can uh, in your setting and your culture where you are here. But here in Luke chapter 22, I want to direct our attention to verse 24 and read down to verse 27. Luke chapter 22. I loved how Jesus would teach and train people. He would use two types of training methods, especially as he's impacting his disciples. He would use organized formal settings. We know that Sermon on the Mount, different specific things. He would use organized settings. Other times they were informal and much of his teaching and training of his leaders was informal contact. It was by the way discussion. It was he marked what people did and then he said, now let me tell you what that is. And he would give them on the job training continually. I think that's one of the things that we've done over and over in the ministry there at Lighthouse Baptist in Australia is we've continued to look for on the job training opportunities and when a teaching moment has arisen, we've jumped on it and said, let me, let me tell you what that is and pull them aside and deal with those issues as they are. And here is another teaching moment in the life of the Lord Jesus in verse 24. And there the Bible tells us that they were having, the disciples were having a bit of inquiry among themselves. And then in verse 24, and, and there was also a strife among them. And I know, realized in, in your churches, we don't have strife. I think we all can relate to this. Which of them, here is the strife, the source of this strife, they were discussing which of them should be accounted the what? The greatest. Jesus jumps onto this and says, all right, let me teach you a leadership principle. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And the the disciples would have said, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we see that. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. And they're saying, yes, we understand that. That's exactly as we would think it should be. And then Jesus makes this statement. And I want you to underline it or think through it. But ye shall not be so. But ye shall not be so. I'm going to teach you principles that are completely opposite to what you have already thought. Ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is, whether is greater, uh, for whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? And obviously the answer is, he that sitteth at meat. Is not he that sitteth at meat, Jesus says? And Jesus says, but I am among you as he that serveth. I want you to learn some things from me. And I think when we think of leadership, Jesus obviously is the great servant leader, the great one who submitted himself to that position willingly. And he was, he was the principle of, if I'm going to reach people, I have to serve people, as we've heard over and over in this meeting already. And he says, but ye shall not be so. I don't want you to think of leading and training people the way you've always thought about it in your culture, in your way you've been risen, or you've looked around in the business world. I want you to think of the way I'm going to train. And Jesus modeled these things. And he said, the only way to become big is really, really get small enough to serve and to be able to get down to that level and to be a master teacher and trainer is the way he was from there. So I want to take you some thoughts on this as somebody who 
quite easily outranked everybody on earth and yet never leveraged that rank for his own benefit. But in turn, the Bible tells us that he took upon him the form of a servant. And I want to give you seven principles in his means of building people and developing leaders. The first one is in John chapter 13. If you have your notes, this references is there for you. First one is this, uh, Roman numeral one, is give people a pattern to follow. Give people a pattern to follow. In John chapter 13 and verse 15, the scriptures give us the indication of where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And uh, I'm not going to labor too much on the whole context of that, but we know that he came to his disciples and, and girded himself because there was none other who ro- rose up to consider whether or not he sh- they should be the one who is uh, the servant of the hour. Jesus lays aside his garments, in other words, puts aside his rabbi position, puts aside his status and says, I want to show you how this is to be done and sets these things aside. And in verse 15, Jesus said, for I have given you an example, an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Later on in that chapter, he then speaks about how we ought to love one another. And again, he he speaks about this, and I think it's a funny passage of scripture because Jesus is telling them in verse 33 that he's going away, you cannot come where I'm going. And he said, but a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. And he says four times, as, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one toward another. I think the funniest verse is right after that where Simon Peter turns around and says, uh, Lord, he didn't ask him anything about the love question. He said, where are you going? <laughs> I just don't know where you're heading off to. Yeah, all that love stuff. Yeah, that's fine. But where are you going? And many times that's where we are. Yeah, we know all that stuff. But God's saying, no, no, you missed the main point. I want you to love as I have loved you. And by the way, pre-Calvary, he makes that statement. How he's loved them in his ministry life. We know how he loved us at Calvary. But he said, I want you to love as I have loved you. And leadership, I really think, believes as we're training leaders, it begins, begins with us and our own life. And it begins with us living right before God. And it begins with you and I saying, you know what? I cannot lead right if I don't live right. I have to set the example. And I can never take a person further than where I have gone myself. And so the principle that Jesus gives us here is I must always give people a pattern to follow. I mean, that is why uh, we ought to be taking people with us when we go soul winning. We ought to bring people with us when we go make a visit. I, I always encourage the other guys in our church, I say, listen, the reason I put you in as the youth pastor is not that we need someone to run out to take care of the youth. That's one aspect. The reason I put you in as the youth pastor is that you are training the next youth pastor that you're always looking, bring someone alongside of you and train them in how you are doing things. And I tell them, never do ministry alone. Always take someone with you on the journey and let them watch you, watch, shadow you in your life, watch your flaws, watch your good points and explain things as you're going through life in those various aspects of ministry. And I think that's what the apostle Paul did as well. You find when you look at his life, you'll find little expressions like this. And he, and he did this and took Barnabas with him and took Titus with him. And it doesn't seem like there was any other purpose 
than them simply just to watch, them to see him in ministry. I think that's one of the great tools that we can train people and develop leaders is bring them along with us, potential faithful men, identifying them and saying, now watch me do the ministry. Let me give you an example in that. Uh, I've, I've had the privilege of, of working in our church uh, through every aspect of our ministry because we were very, very small when I was there. And so, I, listen, I even did, you call it nursery, we call it creche. Uh, but I would, I would even look after the little kids sometimes if I had to. And I'd put a puppet on this hand and a puppet on this hand and try and keep them occupied as long as I could. And I would work through it. I, the cleaning, everything. I've gone through every single ministry. So I know now that I can tell anyone who I'm trying to help them with, listen, I'm not asking you to do something that I've never done myself. I'm not asking you to do that. We had a, a young guy who we were training in different areas and he wanted to be a missionary at a certain place. And uh, we had a banquet there and they were in the kitchen and his wife was there and he was there with my wife. And uh, my wife handed him a tea towel to help do some wiping up of the dishes. And his wife grabbed that off him and said, oh no, my husband doesn't do that because he's training to be a missionary. <laughs> and my wife looked at her and him and got the tea towel back and said, well, my husband's the pastor and he helps do the dishes at home do the wiping up and gave it back to him. And I think sometimes there is, we're never above any role. We're never above any role. And I think that's why in that passage, if you know the passage, Peter, remember what he said, you're not going to wash my feet. Often wondered why he said that. I think he said it because he thought, if I was in your position, I wouldn't be doing what you're doing. This isn't right for you. You're the, you're the master teacher. What are you doing this for? Because if I was in that role, I wouldn't stoop to do that. And God's saying, that's not the attitude. Our attitude is always to be a pattern and to show those things. We're never above anybody. And to keep that in mind, I, I think it's called basin theology, isn't it? Where you think of two men who picked up a basin. Pilate was one. And he washed his hands of the matter, putting himself first. Jesus picked up the other basin and put others first. Giving people a pattern to follow. Because we are, we, are, we are not to be dictators, we are to be in, in, in samples. Peter tells us that in 1 Peter chapter 5, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock, giving examples. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us that we're to be an example of the believers. And so if that starts from the youth. We're telling you, look, don't let a man despise your youth, but be an example of the believers. I don't think that means we stop being an example of the believers when we move out of our youth and we're to continue to be an example in word, how we control our tongue. We're to continue to be an example in conversation, how we conduct ourselves in holiness. We ought to live a holy life. If we're expecting others to live a holy life, then we ought to be giving that pattern of a holy life. We ought to be an example in charity, in charity and how we love and how we work and how we express ourselves and love in action. And people will be able to note that and say, you know what, that man is a loving man. We can see love in that man. He's shown it through his actions. He's shown it through his words that he does put up with people who are really grating, uh, real annoying. Uh, you know, we'd call them buffheads in Australia. I don't know what you call them here in America, but just really, really annoying people. And you put up with those people. You work with those people. He, he does have an example in spirit, that he commands his spirit. He rules his spirit. He doesn't let his, his emotions rule him, he rules them and puts them in that order. 
and understands that. He's consistent in his faith. And I think that's why we ought to be giving testimonies of, of times where we've had to step out by faith and exercise faith. Because either, how else can they follow our faith if they never hear of our faith and see our faith by our works? So these are continual things that we need to have and in purity have those things. The second point is this. Not only do I need to give a pattern like Jesus did, number two, I need to challenge people with a greater purpose. Challenge people with a greater purpose. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, the scriptures tell us here that Jesus says, but seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I think here is where we start to identify those people who are just the following men to those who are really becoming faithful men. Those who are that you're identifying where they're placing their priorities in life. And we are to give a challenge to people for a greater purpose and priorities in life. And I think that's one of the great skills of developing leaders. Jesus is saying to these men here, he says, will you, will you put first the kingdom of God or will you put it second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth or seventh? I think many times we can look around in churches and in, among people who are looking to try and find leaders and develop leaders. And if they're not willing to put the kingdom of God first, then I'm not going to continue to work with that person into the leadership capacity. But I'm going to challenge them, challenge them to, to get those things in order. Because many times it's not that they don't love God. It's just that they're seeking seventh, the kingdom of God. It's just a little bit further down the track in those things. And people will usually prioritize according to their need. Whatever they think they need, they prioritize. And our job in developing leaders is to continue to teach them and to model before them their need, that they, that they need to have God as their primary need. That that is the primary need of us as a, as a leader. Now, if they see us never praying for our messages, if they see us never relying upon God for things, then we're not modeling a good example of teaching them to seek these things first. So we have to model that again. They're going to catch the thing. We've got to make sure they get the right value structure. Because isn't it easy to shift values in this world? You know, we start to get a heavier value on that which is temporal than that which is eternal. A heavier value on that which is visible than that which is invisible. That which is physical rather than that which is spiritual. Reminded me of a, a robbery that took place down our way. And it was uh, an unusual robbery because the thieves broke in and they discovered there was a break-in, but nothing was stolen. They couldn't work out what had happened until several days later. The thieves had broken in and simply switched price tags on items. So that which was $1,000, they now put a $100 price tag on. And that which was $100, they now put a $1,000 price tag on. Then they came in the days after the, after the break-in and bought all the what was expensive items very cheap and then flogged them off at some pawn shop and made some money out of it. Pretty smart ingenuity as a thief. I don't recommend that to anyone, but that's what they did. What they simply did was switched values. And that's what's happening to people in our churches and our leaders, those who we're developing. What to try and teach them, get your values right, put your priorities right, get these things in order and identify people. And I think when Jesus did that, he challenged three different areas 
And I want to give you these three areas. You can jot them down or think through them. Number one is he challenged people's priorities. He challenged their priorities. Remember when he looked at that rich young ruler? He said to that rich young ruler, he said, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. Then shalt thou have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross, and follow me. What was he doing? Challenging that guy's priority and trying to give him a greater purpose in life. Trying to say, there is something greater for you to live for than just your riches. And what he was doing this, you challenge potential leaders' priorities by asking them to give up something meaningful to them. Now, obviously to that man, that was his riches. What is going to come first in your life? It's a challenging of these things. When God called me to the ministry, I was a lawyer and I had to make a choice. I was offered a partnership in a law firm or I could go to a Bible school. And I kept thinking, well, you know, tell you what I ought to do, God. I ought to just hang on to this law. And, I'll, and I was at my office was on a part of the, of the Australian coastline called the Sunshine Coast that looked over a beach area. Uh, I just built a brand new home with my wife and a little baby. And uh, we, we had things pretty well set. And God said, I want you to go to Bible school. I said, yeah, but, but you ever haven't had the butts come out? But just a few more years and I'd be really established and then I can do it. And it was challenging my priorities. What, what really is going to come first? And I'm thankful I moved from where I was to a little one horse town. And there was a missionary who came from your country came and set up a little one horse, one horse, in a one horse town, a little Bible institute. And there we went along to that. And there was probably about a handful of people. And God took me from a, a, a sunshine coast, coastal area, beautiful area down to the country, little hick, little place, several hours in the back of, back of the boonies, we'd call it back of nowhere. And God, and God said, I'm challenging your priorities. What are you going to do? And I had a choice. Would I switch from man's law to God's law? Or would I hold on to what I had? And I'm so glad that God challenged my priorities then. I made the switch. And I moved over to that. And God will ask you to do those things. And I think that's what we are when we're provoking people week after week. Because what we're trying to see is what cream is rising to the top. Because if, if someone's not willing for their priorities to be challenged, to put God first, we're not going to be developing a good leader in that person. Secondly, he had also challenged their faith. He challenged their faith in Matthew chapter 10 and verses 7 and 8. Jesus said this to them, and as you go, I want you to do some things. He said, I want you to preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I can imagine his disciples saying, yeah, we can do that. That sounds pretty good. We can go preaching. And then he also said, heal the sick. Hmm, all right. Well, we've seen you do it. We'll give it a go. I'm not sure how effective we're going to be at that, but we'll give it a go. I think... It's a little bit harder, but we can do that. Then he said, and um, cleanse the lepers. Pa pardon me, Jesus? Cleanse. Well, look, do you understand? If we get, it's going to take a little bit of extra. I don't know if we can do this. God said, good, I want you to move out of the sight realm into the faith realm. And he says, oh, and one more, raise the dead. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a lot of, that's a big faith ask. What was he doing? He was challenging them. Now, imagine if they turned around and said, no, nah, forget it. We're not doing that. 
We'll do the preaching side of it. I'm sure they would have moved back in the realm of his development of leadership. But they said, we'll do it. We'll we'll believe God can help us do whatever you send us to do. That's the leaders we're looking for. Looking at challenging their faith along that. Stretch leaders to, to rely upon God. Give them preaching tasks to do when they have no time to prepare for it. What's that going to do? Get what's in them out of them and, and get them not to rely upon their notes and their study, which is a great thing they ought to do, but stretch them a little bit. Give them some projects that are beyond their limitations. Well, they could mess it up. They could, they could, rule, they could make a mess of it. Well, that's okay, as long as they don't do it twice. Like work with them again. Give, give them some people to manage that's sometimes beyond their level. Again, it's stretching their faith a little bit from here. And I see that. And then I think the third thing he did, he, he challenged their vision. He challenged their vision. At the end of the Great Commission, we know he gave the Great Commission five times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, twice on the day of his resurrection, twice on the day of his ascension, and once in between. Put them all together, we get a whole picture of this. But as he did that, one of the statements he told them, as you know, was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He told them to go and teach all nations. He's telling this to a bunch of Jewish men. At that time, that was a massive vision. No aeroplanes, no trains. The ability to travel was either by boat or by foot or by donkey. That was a huge undertaking. You know what he's telling them to do? And he took them to Galilee where they could get up onto a high mountain when he starts to tell them about all nations where they could... I'm not sure if he said, fellas, look, I want you to go to all nations... Check around what you can see. Get your vision out. Took him to the mountaintop. I want you to see bigger than this. And then he says in, I, in, the, in the last time before he ascends, he said, I want you to be witnesses unto me. And we all know the places. I want you to go where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And I always said, well, God, why did you say Samaria? Why didn't you say Jerusalem, Judea, Perea, the uttermost parts of the earth? Jerusalem, Judea, Edom, the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, uh, and Egypt in the uttermost parts. Because God said, you know, I need to make sure these people get a vision beyond their prejudice. Because they have a big prejudice against Samaria. They will never be impacting the uttermost parts of the earth if I can't challenge their vision beyond their own personal prejudice. And I think Jesus is constantly challenging people that way. Lift up, your, lift up your eyes. We had a young man who wanted to go to China. And uh, I said to this young man, as we were talking with him, I said, well, let me ask you, um, what, what books do you have in your home in China? And he said, I don't have any. He said, what DVDs do you have at home that you've been watching about China? I don't have any. The Chinese people, the few that we have in our church, have you been around to their home or have you invited them to your home and had, had meals with them? No, I haven't. I said, well, you don't want to go to China. And he said, you're right. He said, I just felt pressured. I needed to do something. And I said, but you may want to go there if you started to get a vision for it. So I took him to China with me. I did the same with another young man in our church. And that other one didn't end up going to China. He's still in Australia. I had another young man who had an African burden for Ghana and in Liberia. I did the same thing with him. And he started to reach some Sudanese refugees who'd come into our town started to bring them along to church. The couple of African people we had in our church, he was in their homes, in their places. He was doing everything he could with Africa. Let me tell you where he is today. 
Right now he's in Ghana, West Africa. Because he lifted up his eyes a little bit and we extended his vision, challenged his vision, challenged those things from there and to get people to think through that. And I think sometimes we, we, we don't challenge people with their, with their vision like that because we get a little bit stuck on some things. But here's the third thing for you. third thing is this, is this third. Affirm people for their potential. Affirm people for their potential. Mark chapter 10 and verse 21 Jesus is talking to that rich young ruler and we read that verse before or I read that for you and in verse 21 he sees that rich young ruler and the Bible says then Jesus beholding him what does the Bible say loved him he was beholding him loved him and then he gives his instruction to him and tells him if you do this thou shalt have treasure in heaven he said there is some you have great potential young man you have great potential. But what I love about the Lord here is he beheld him. And I think what we, we learn a principle from here, take time to actually look at people and gaze at people. I don't mean gawk at them. Do you say gawk? I'm not sure if you mean gawk. Stare at them. Uh, you know, don't, don't just, you know, just be gobsmacked at him. He's telling us, pay attention to them. Be, he beheld that young man. He took an interest in that young man. And there is nothing more loving than you can do than to give a person your attention and to give them that eye contact. And he does that. It wasn't a casual glance. He took interest in him. He believed in him. And he said, young man, there is something you can do. If you do this, I know you will do this. What could happen to you? And he didn't just tell the young man like it is. He told him like it could be. And he gave this young man some affirmation and worked through that. The question I have for us today is who are we affirming in our churches now? Who is it that we're looking at? Excuse me. And we're saying this is a person who has some potential. I want to affirm that in them. They may not see that in, them, in themselves yet. They may not get that. I had an old man, two old men influenced my life amazingly. They're both in heaven now. One, they were both laymen. One was a Greek man. And he, uh, uh, Miko was his name, and he would come and talk to me before, while I was in Bible school, just studying and doing some things and continued to, to pray for me and to work for me. I went to Bible school simply to do one thing, to learn to be a better father and a better husband. But whilst I was there, God called me to preach. And, and God called me to pastor from there and move on from stuff from that. But here's what happened. This young man, this old man put some affirmation into me. And then I had a, another old man who shook my hand, Arnie Munchow, and he shook, shook my hand and he said to me, Robert, he said, and he started having tears down his eye. He had massive big farmer's hands, you know, and he just grabbed my hands and he said, Robert, don't let any man ever talk you out of your call to preach. He said, I was a young man who had a, who I believe God called me to preach and a, and a preacher said to me, you're a dumb farm boy. You're never going to be a preacher. Stick to being a farmer. And he said, I stuck to being a farmer the rest of my life. And I regretted that right up to this day. Don't let any, listen, we ought to affirm the potential in, in people. Look at those things, encourage them along that way. And understand that not everyone's going to be called to ministry, but look at those who are rising to the top. And sometimes there are people in your ministry that are like scaffolding to help build what you're doing and others that are structured that you're developing in their life discern the difference one thing often stops us doing that and affirming other people is our own ego because man they might think something you know Adolf Hitler was uh, a bit like that and they said Adolf Hitler interviewed 30 candidates to be his personal chauffeur and the qualification 
for the person who he would pick to be his personal chauffeur was this. The chauffeur had to be shorter than him. Because he never wanted to be in public and to be seen as a short man. He wanted to be a taller man. So he picked a man who was a short man to be his chauffeur. He picked a guy so short, they had to put some boxes on the seat so he could see over the steering wheel when he drove. I mean, that's a massive ego. Massive ego. And people have these things. And we need to say, God, help us catch people doing something right affirm them and you'll find that that's going to develop their potential. Jesus looked at this man and said, I can see something in you. Affirm people. It's not going to cost you anything. It will it'll encourage people. And sometimes we always catch people doing the opposite. We always find people doing things wrong and, and jump on them. And you need to correct, but let's not do that to the expense of failing to affirm people, to strengthen them and teach them those things and encourage them up. I think sometimes our own God concept can prohibit us from affirming people because we can think if, if God doesn't want to raise us up to our potential, that we have this worm theology, well, then we're never going to affirm anybody else. And we need to get a concept that God says, no, I want to affirm you. I want to, you can do this. Jesus looked at people and said, this is what you are, but this is what you can be. Affirm people in their potential. Lift them up. Let me read you this little thought on lifting people up. A man fell into a pit and he couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall in that pit. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think that you're in that pit. A Pharisee came along and said, only bad people fall into a pit. A news reporter wanted an exclusive story on the pit. A Baptist said, you deserve your pit. A Calvinist said, you've been predestined for your pit. A charismatic said, just confess that you're not in the pit. A realist came along and said, now that's a pit. An accountant came along and asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. An evasive person came along and avoided the subject altogether. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. <laughs> An optimist said, well, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. But Jesus, seeing a man in the pit, reached down and took him by the hand and lifted him up out of the pit. And that's our job. Our job is to lift people. Our job is to do that. And don't worry if they do greater works than you. Jesus said, that's what we would do. Greater works than these shall ye do. And we ought to think through that and be, be, give that encouragement. Number four is this, give people an opportunity to prove themselves. Give people an opportunity to prove themselves. Just some practical thoughts here this afternoon on developing leaders. Give people opportunity to prove themselves. Matthew chapter 19, this is straight after the, the great uh, thought, uh, chapter 16, sorry. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. This is after uh, the great confession of uh, Peter and what Jesus saw in him. And in verse 19, he says to him, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You understand how much responsibility that was? That was in a massive amount of responsibility in that one verse of scripture. And I will give unto thee the keys. You don't give keys to people just willy-nilly. You give keys to people as an as onus of trust. You give keys to people as a picture of responsibility. 
Uh, I've, got five, I've got five children. I've got four boys and one, one daughter, and I've got uh, now seven grandchildren. And uh, I look at my, my different boys in a different stages than my daughter. They, at different stages and ages of their life, we gave them a key to the back door. And they could have their own key to get into the house, which simply said, we're holding you responsible for your time and also what you do with this. And developing that. One of my sons uh, is a butcher. And he went through his trade and his boss uh, said to him, he said, said to me, he said, your son's got incredible work ethic. Uh, we're just so thankful to have him here. And he's always talking to us about his Christian faith. And we just trust him. And uh, we're going to give him the keys to the business. And here, here is a 21-year-old boy. He got the keys to the whole business. And, I, and that, was a, that was a responsibility. Now, what was he also doing when he gave him that, those keys? I'm proving him. I'm testing him. And so we ought to think about when we give people responsibility, we're saying this to them. We're saying, I'm trusting you, but it's also a proving time. And so we're looking for those things. Here is what he's saying to Peter. You'll have the ability to unlock hearts. I'm going to see what you're going to do with that. You got some keys. You got an ability here. I'm giving you those things. And Jesus is always calling people to prove themselves and show their commitment to pull that up. Remember in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus went up to the mountain? Let me show you this in your scriptures. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to show you this quickly and we'll uh, be finishing up here very shortly. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says that when Jesus went up to the mountain, firstly he says he saw the multitudes and seeing the multitudes in verse 1, he went up into the mountain and when he was set, his disciples came unto him and then he preached the sermon on the mount. Now come to chapter 8 and verse 1. He's finished his Sermon on the Mount. And when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. You understand what took place? Only the committed climbed the mountain. Only the committed got to hear the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus saw the multitude and said, hmm, I'm going up a mountain. If you want to learn, come with me. He called for commitment. And then he came down from the mountain And the multitudes got secondhand information. But he picked out those and the disciples, when they were set, he taught them. You ought to call for great commitment from people and always be looking for that. Sometimes we look at a church and we say a church is a hospital. And I try and turn that around and say, no, a church is is an army with a hospital unit. Because if the church was a hospital, you never call for great commitment from the patients. You just want the patients to get well and get back into the army and back out again. If I look at it as an army, I'm going to be calling for great commitment. Don't ever be afraid to call for more commitment. You're going to find the following men will move up to become faithful men in whom I can equip. I'm developing these leaders. I have a class called a Joshua class. It's selection only. I have a handful of young men and I require them that no one can join this class. I can only choose them because Jesus said many are called, but few are chosen. There's many people are called, they just never make the difference between being called and chosen. They've never proven themselves. And I call them into this group and, and, I, and I'll ring them at any time or text them and say, we're meeting up at the church in five minutes time or 10 minutes time, whatever the thing is. And I'll say, make sure you're there by six o'clock. If they're not there by six o'clock, they know the rule, the door's locked. They don't get to be part of it anymore. And I'm calling for commitment. They'll have to wait for the next opportunity. And I'm simply saying, look, I'm looking for people who are willing to make an extra commitment, who are willing to do that. And these men love it. They come into it and I get to give them my heart on things that I can't give just publicly to everyone and work through it. The next one is this, letter five. 
is give people feedback that is profitable. The disciples came here and it says, then the disciples came to Jesus in Matthew and 17 and said, why could not we cast him out? They'd failed in an endeavor to do an activity that they were asked to do, they were part they were requested to do. And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Now imagine if he would have just stopped there. Let me tell you why you failed in that job. Because you were slack. Let me tell you why you didn't get that done. Because you, you, you just had unbelief. Next. There's no profit in that. Profit is in the next part as well. But, he then goes on, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence. This is where you failed. Now let me show you how we can fix it. That's profitable feedback. And so you want to give people feedback because weaknesses in fellowship will be magnified in leadership. Weaknesses in fellowship will be magnified in leadership. So if I see a weakness, I want to identify it and then strengthen it. So I'm constantly looking for things in our guy's life and I'm saying, I can see some things here and I want to speak the truth in love to you. And if I can't speak it in love, I will hold off because sometimes it's not right to speak the truth because if I'm going to speak it in anger, I could mess up the whole process. So I'll wait until I'm in a right frame of mind so I can model the right spirit and I'll speak the truth, correct them, not condemn them, correct them and show them something, give them a resource, pray with them on this, teach them on something, work through, show them again and work through those things and affirm that person and correct the behaviour, give timely advice, letters, all those things from there. The next thought is this, letter, letter six is don't place yourself on a pedestal. Don't place yourself on a pedestal. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. Uh, look, people will honour an office that's good and right. Uh, but let's not put ourselves on a pedestal where we think we're better than anybody else. Uh, we're just, we're just uh, all flesh is grass. We're just fulfilling a function and a privilege and an opportunity to serve God in any capacity. And Jesus said, look, I, I henceforth, uh, I don't call, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you what? Friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. I don't think we should ever feel threatened by developing leaders. We don't ever want to get a Saul syndrome where a, where a David comes up and all of a sudden that David is killing 10,000 and I'm still doing my 1,000. When there was a day when I used to do the 10,000, but now it's switched. And so I start to pull that person down and, and feel threatened by that person. I don't think we want to do that. We want to understand we're not competitors, we're co-laborers with people. And so don't put myself on a pedestal where I, I'm better than you and I'm superior than you and, and this is where I am. And you, I, I, try, I take this verse of scripture and say, Jesus said, I'm going to model something to you. You understand my position. And they honored that because of who he was. And people will honor you for who you were. They'll respect you as that person. And if, you, if they're simply just following your position, we've got a problem. We want to make sure they understand you, that you've been transparent with them. And if I have to put myself on the pedestal, and be the one that, listen, this is where I am and you've got to do this, that's, that tells me I really haven't impacted them in the right level. I need to get to them at that right level because secure people are like Jesus. They're into the towels. Insecure people are into the titles. This is my title. 
Well, Jesus said, well, I'll, I'll wash your feet. I'll, I'll take that. There are times for titles. There are times for that. We understand that. But we're, we're not called to compete. We're called to cultivate. Called to cultivate. And God can do great things through people who really don't care who gets the credit as long as he gets the glory. And we know that. The question is, what happens when someone does get the credit? How do I feel? What happens when some of those leaders in our church are now getting the credit for things that I used to get the credit for? How do I feel about that? I ought to feel, I ought to say, you know what, if I sense any, any issue of, of pride rising up, I've got to deal with that because I want to cultivate that, preferring one another, in honour, preferring one another. And that's everyone, not just those people in whom we do honour. In honour, preferring one another and deferring those things. And lastly, Jesus teaches us this, the seventh principle, continue to pray for people. Here is, here is Peter about to go through a great testing and the Bible says, very comforting words, but I have prayed for thee. But I have prayed for thee. We know the Apostle Paul did that constantly and he said, always in every prayer of mine, for you, for you. When people know you pray for them, it makes a huge difference in their development of their relationship and their growth. Seven simple principles. And by the way, when someone asks you, uh, you know, pray for them and you say, I'll pray for you, we've got to do that. <laughs> we can't just say we're going to do it. We've got to do it. And, and to make an effort to do that and think through them, let them know that you're doing that and to pray for those people. Give people a pattern to follow. Challenge people with a greater purpose and priority. Affirm people for their potential. Give people an opportunity to prove themselves. Give people feedback that's profitable. Don't place yourself on a pedestal and continue to pray for people. Because excellent leadership will always work itself out of a job. I'm pulling up leaders. A leadership is developing leaders who will develop leaders and continue to work through that. Keep training others, keep equipping others and doing those things because one day our labor will, will soon end and will turn to reward. And we continue to serve, the God, serve God until he does that and we serve a wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. And may God give us faithful men who we can impart things to, that they may be able to teach others also. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson was on developing leaders in the local church with Dr. Robert Bax.